Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Arsenal bounce back with a UEFA Champions League victory. And guess what we're not talking about after this one? Referees and VAR. It's the Chronicles of Aguna podcast, and we're going to break it all down for you. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of, of course, the 90 Min family. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon. I'm in the 90 Min studio this morning uh, because we do have our normal Thursday show coming up live at about 11.15 a.m. We're going to discuss all the Champions League action. We're also going to preview the weekend's fixtures as well. Uh, So there's lots to get through on that one. I know a lot of you that watch or listen to this do tune into that as well. Uh, So make sure you come across uh, in a little while. And um, I look forward to seeing some familiar names uh, in the chat box. But that's not what we're here to do now. We're here to talk about Arsenal's victory over Sevilla. Um, Let me say a few hellos uh, to some of you in the live chat before we dive into it. Big hello to Temi, who says Martinelli had Sevilla's right back on toast. He absolutely did. Um, Nav said we silenced the Sevilla fans. Just on a quick side point, I thought more of them would have made the journey. I I really, really did. Just looking at how passionate they were when we went out to Seville, looking at the, the way that the city kind of just became engrossed in the game. Um, you know, I thought that more of them would have made a trip. It was a kind of reduced away end, wasn't it? Because clearly they hadn't sold enough tickets for them to get the usual allocations. I was a little bit disappointed by that, I have to say. Uh, Juno says, good morning. Uh, big hello to Derek, who joins us from Australia as well. We've got Glenn. Uh, we've got Lockpicking Legend, who mocked my spelling mistake or typo, whatever you want to call it, uh, in the chat. Uh, what else have we got? Um... <laughs> Hacker says, Sevilla writing comfortably beaten with a picture of Lamella is player abuse, isn't it? Did they actually do that? Oh my God, I need to check that out. Uh, Creambone says, morning, young Harold. I hope you're well, my friend. Um, Tom says, morning, Harry and chat. Let's just point and laugh at Manchester United. Maybe we'll touch on Manchester United a little bit uh, as well. Uh, John is with us. Uh, good morning to you, my friend. Derek says, hit the like button. Yes, please do. It really, really does help. Gilfie joins us from Iceland. I hope you're well, mate. And the greetings to everybody who's listening in from Iceland, because looking at some of the statistics the other day, I realized that we've got a fair few regular listeners from Iceland. And uh, I hadn't realized that before. So a big hello to all of you guys, and especially to you, Gilfie, uh, for joining us in the live chat. Big hello to Olga Chukwu as well. And 
uh, Mafia Boss, who joins us from the Republic of Gambia. Brilliant. Look, we're worldwide. We're massive. You know how it is. I'm just kidding. Anyway, um, I haven't prepared a running order for this episode. Over the last few weeks, I've made a conscious effort to like really try and step things up. Like I feel like we've stepped up the the, the thumbnails, the graphics, you know, all the rest of it. Like I've, I've made a real big effort to try and do that. And um, I've also been spending a lot more time on my kind of running orders just to make sure that the shows are just that little bit more concise. I know I still ramble on and all the rest of it. But today I haven't done one. I, I didn't have the time. I got back home from the game last night really really late I was absolutely knackered I, I couldn't bear the thought of reopening my laptop so I went to bed got up this morning planned actually to type one up while I was um while I was drinking my coffee in the morning and I dropped my son off to school on on Thursdays but he decided to have meltdown after meltdown after meltdown today he just didn't want to go to school I think he was trying to pull the wool over my eyes telling me he wasn't feeling too well he seemed absolutely fine to me and 10 minutes later he was running around kicking a football in the living room so yeah um you know we've all been there we've all done it so um I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt but because I was dealing with meltdown after meltdown after meltdown I didn't get that 20 minutes half an hour that I was hoping for while drinking my coffee uh to uh to sort of write a bit of a breakdown so I'm going to wing it a little bit so if we jump around a little bit on this episode I do apologize but I, I feel like um you know, we've got some really positive things to discuss, which is always great, isn't it? Let's kick off then uh, with the team that Mikel Arteta selected. He just made one change from the side that played against Newcastle United. And that change was Eddie Nketiah out because, of course, he's injured, unavailable. And in came uh, Leandro Trossard at centre forward. Now, I said to you guys in the big match preview that I'd have quite liked to have seen Kai Havertz play at centre forward yesterday. But actually, when I came away from recording that episode and sort of thought about our midfield options and thought about what I said ahead of the West Ham game, which was we were too lightweight, weren't we, without um, Rice in the midfield. And I know Rice was going to play, obviously, um, yesterday, but then I thought about like Vieira and, and those types of players. And I just thought that we'd be a little bit lightweight against the very, very physical Sevilla side. They are that, you know, they do put themselves about. They love to give you a little kick here and there. I mean, the, the treatment that Bukayo Saka got yesterday was abhorrent. And we're going to come on to that um, a little bit later on uh, in the programme. But I think Mikel Arteta got it right. He was right to use Leandro Trossard in that position. He's played as the false nine before. Done it to good effect at times. I still don't think he's quite Gabriel Jesus. Um, but is there much difference between him and Eddie Nketiah? I don't think there's that much difference, to be honest. And, you know, maybe that's a damning indictment of Eddie Nketiah and, and where I rate him as a centre forward in terms of the overall picture. Or maybe it's a compliment to Leandro Trossard, who clearly um, doesn't feel and doesn't believe that centre forward or false nine, whatever you want to call it, is his best position. You can look at it through either lens, I guess. Um, but anyway, yeah, so the team was... Um, Raya in goal, he continued in between the sticks. White, Saliba, Gabriel and Tomiassi with a back four. Havertz, Jorginho and Rice in midfield. Saka, Trossard and Martinelli um, in attack. Game started and I thought Arsenal were, were really in control. Really, really dominant um, throughout. And, you know, we've, we've talked about it a lot this season. You know, what's different about Arsenal this time around? What is it that Mikel Arteta wants to see? What is it that we've kind of shifted towards? Because, look, I think there's there's credence to both sides of this argument. So I think on the one side, you could say, well, we've had to constantly rotate our attack because of injuries. And as a result, that's led to our fluidity uh, being disrupted. 
The flip side is that actually Arsenal's game model this season means that they are going to be less swashbuckling and maybe less entertaining than they were um, throughout the, the majority of last season. I think both sides of that are true. I think that we do want more control. I think that Mikel Arteta does want to um, play games in a calmer way, if that makes sense, and in a more measured way. Um, but I also think he'd be slightly concerned by the fact that it just hasn't really clicked in the forward positions. So I think both of those things are true, as I say. Um, but in terms of control and in terms of dominance, the thing that we know that Mikel Arteta is after, because he talks about it in every damn interview he gives, you know, that that was on display last night from the very, very beginning. And listen, Sevilla aren't the Sevilla of years gone by. They're not a great team. I, I don't think so anyway. Um, we spoke to Andy Brassel in the build-up to the group kicking off, and he told us as much. You look at how they're performing in La Liga, and that is, you know, apparent clearly. Um, but they're still a Champions League side, and they're still there on merit. And as I said to you guys in the big match preview, you, you can't take anybody lightly, really, in this competition because it is, um, you know, it is Europe's premier competition. If you're there, you're there because you are of a reasonable standard. And, and Sevilla certainly are that. So we started the game with plenty of control, plenty of dominance. I have to say the first sort of 10 minutes or so, I was looking at it and I was going, I'd like to just see a little bit more tempo from Arsenal, a little bit more zip in the passing. And I think if we did that and moved the ball from side to side that little bit quicker, we may well have unpicked that lock a little bit earlier. But you've got to give Sevilla credit in the way that they set up, in the shape that they did. To be fair to them, they had some key players missing. They had... Um, their number one goalkeeper missing. They had Sergio Ramos missing. Uh, they were without Acuna uh, at fullback. Interestingly, they left a couple of players on the bench that I thought would have started. Uh, Ivan Rakitic um, wasn't in the starting lineup. I don't know if he was carrying anything. Or Campos uh, was another one. Sumare, another player that I thought uh, may well have started the game for the visitors. Maybe, you know, Diego Carlos looked at it and went, well, our chances of winning this are minimal. And you know, we're going to go for a different approach. We're going to try and frustrate. And to be fair, for the first half an hour, they did a pretty good job of that. But what I loved about Arsenal's performance from a sort of professional standpoint was that even though I felt they could have upped it a little bit earlier, and even though I felt like, you know, there was room for improvement in terms of what we were delivering ourselves, I, I, I felt like we were confident in our plan and in our, you know, what's the word, you know, in our strategy, and so we didn't really ever look panicked or worried or like we were trying to force the issue too desperately. It felt like we knew that if we kept doing our thing, that the breakthrough would come. And that is, comes with experience and that comes with developing a belief in yourself, right? You don't get to half an hour and think, shit, it's nil-nil against a side that we should be beating at home. Why aren't we leading? Why haven't we found the breakthrough, et cetera, et cetera. So I think for me, um, to watch Arsenal sort of navigate through that conundrum that you might face in a game like that as professionally and as maturely as they did I think is a really really good sign and then of course the first goal comes uh Bukayo Saka um playing a pass across the face of goal for Leandro Trossard to turn in but the real highlight of this goal comes before that and that's Jorginho's involvement receives the ball in midfield and plays a lovely pass in behind to split the Sevilla defense now we hadn't managed to split that defense very often, if at all, up until that point. Jorginho, as I've always said to you guys, is somebody who, for me, technically is incredible. He's so, so gifted. The weight of pass, the vision, the calmness, the composure that he displays has made him a top, top player for many, many years. 
what has probably been his, I don't want to call it a weakness or a downfall, but what's probably held him back a little bit since he's come to the Premier League is that he is someone who isn't as quick across the ground as others, as mobile as others. And particularly at this stage he's at in his career now, you know, that's always going to be a, an issue for him at times. I've said it repeatedly. If you put someone like Declan Rice alongside him, you will get the best out of Jorginho. And we are seeing the best out of Jorginho, I really feel, in the last few games. I thought he was excellent up at Newcastle. And I thought he was excellent um, again here against Sevilla. And that pass, you kind of got to watch it from the reverse angle, I think, to appreciate the, the angle that he puts on it, which is perfect for Saka's run inside off of the flank. And the weight of the pass as well is excellent. And listen, you know, um, Leandro Trossard comes in at centre-forward, scores a goal. What what more can you ask for, you know? Um, and I think there's been some question marks about some of his performances lately. You know, there's been this whole debate, is he more effective off the bench? And I think recent evidence will certainly suggest that. But he started the game last night and I thought he gave a, a decent account of himself. We'll come on to player ratings a little bit later on. Uh, on the show. So uh, make sure you stay tuned for that. Um, what have we got in the chat box? Uh, Lock picking legend says, uh, when he mocked my typo, it was meant in good humor. I know, mate, I was only kidding as well. Uh, he says, love this show. Great to have you, mate. Um, Earfan says, uh, Jorginho has been immense the last few games and I'm personally loving him at Arsenal. Um, he's asked a question about his contract. I I'll, I'll save that and I'll come back to that when we do the questions bit a little bit later on, because it's quite a convoluted and complex answer. Uh, my answer to that question, I've been thinking quite a bit about it actually um, over the last couple of weeks, not that I'm reactionary or anything, but anyway, um, so Arsenal go in front and at that point, you know, you're feeling comfortable, you're feeling good. The only frustration I had in the first half, it, it wasn't, oh, we should have scored more because I've realised and I'm old enough and mature enough to know that football doesn't always work like that, right? It isn't as cut and dry as, oh, well, it's severe, so you should be winning two, three, four nil at the break. And anything less than that is unacceptable. I was happy that we'd given up nothing from a defensive standpoint. Once again, we continued to show that solidarity at the back and and you know, solidity, I should say. Solidarity sounds like we're kind of getting behind a cause or something. Solidity uh, at the back. And, you know, I, I was pleased with the first half. The only problem, as I say, I circle back to it, was I felt that the treatment of Bukayo Saka was was a disgrace. Um, and I know that you're not allowed to use the word disgrace anymore because apparently that's a dangerous term to use, uh, according to uh, one Gary Neville. But I thought it was. You know, the amount of times that Gudelia in particular, the severe centre-back, just stepped out and kicked into Bukayo Saka, for me, was wild. And once he'd sort of gotten away with everything he was going to get away with, the rotational fouling kicked in. And, you know, Bukayo Saka was on the receiving end of a lot of challenges. I'm not surprised that he ended up going off at the end of the game or, or later on in the game with, with a kick. Now, Mikel Arteta said it, it was a kick and, you know, there, there doesn't appear to be too much concern about that, fingers crossed. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it was really annoying and I sort of went inside. And, you know, I, I went off the handle over the last few days about the standard of refereeing in this country. Um, and I, I figured that, on the continent, you know, things would be better. And things generally are that bit more consistent. I think that Manchester United, based on last night, will probably tell you something different, but we don't care about them. No, I'm kidding. Like, if, you gotta be, if you're going to be fair, you've got to be fair. Um, but I was disappointed with the way that 
Sevilla were able to get away with that rotational fouling and the constant treatment of Bukayo Saka. And look, we talk about Arteta overplaying the guy and we talk about how much he's relied upon and that at some point we're going to burn him out and that that's dangerous for Arsenal and all the rest of it. The truth is that, yeah, that's an issue that we've got to be mindful of and, and probably need to manage a little bit better. But the bigger issue is the fact that he gets kicked off the park every time he plays. And so the responsibility to protect Bukayo Saka and ensure that he's able to sustain the level of performance that he's shown over the last couple of years and potentially go beyond that is not just on Mikel Arteta and the minutes that he gives him. It's on the match officials as well. And I remember listening to um, uh, an interview with, uh, with a very, very famous footballer of years gone by who said, the reason I never came to England, despite its appeal as one of the best leagues in the world, was because I knew I was going to get kicked every week. And I knew that my body was probably more likely to break down at an earlier stage as a consequence of that. Now, obviously, football is not what it was in the 70s and in the 80s and all the rest of it. And it has moved on in that sense. But I still think that, generally speaking, the Premier League is seen as an overly physical league by the rest of the world. And, you know, when it happens in the Premier League, I'm not surprised. I was surprised that it was allowed, though, in the Champions League um, the way it was yesterday. But anyway, we got to halftime, 1-0 up, happy days. Second half comes along and you think, right, go out there, consolidate. That's what it's all about now. Don't give anything away, consolidate. Make sure that you keep it tight. Make sure um, that you um, you don't give anything silly away and go back into the, the same mode that you were in in the first half. Dominating possession, controlling the game, be patient and another opportunity will come your way. But of course, just before the second half kicked off, it became apparent that a change had been made. Now, I said to you guys in the big match preview that I was quite happy for Zinchenko to start this game because I knew that we'd have a lot of the ball. I knew that we'd be in control. And I figured that when trying to break down a low block, we may actually have needed his um, sort of willingness, but also ability to, to go into midfield and, and dictate play the way he did. And actually, later on in the game, yes, it was not a fire drill, as Tom Canton tweeted, Jorginho, not Jorginho, Zinchenko, I beg your pardon, actually did go into a midfield position without being a left back on paper, which was mind-blowing, um, incredible. But um, I thought that Zinchenko might start the game. He didn't. And then when Tommy Asu came off at halftime, I remember tweeting instantly, I hope this isn't an injury. Because I've been under the impression for a little bit now that Mikel Arteta believes that Zinchenko's performance levels have dropped and quite significantly. I've been under the impression that Mikel Arteta was annoyed with Zinchenko after the West Ham defeat. And as a result of that, I think the only, I thought the only way he was going to start was if there was any doubt or concern over Tomiyasu's fitness. And Tomiyasu goes off at half time, and, and as was asked in the press conference after the match, you know, is it a problem? Did he have an issue? Or was it purely tactical? Are you saving him? Are you resting him? Whatever. Zinchenko did, in fact, come on because Tommy Asu had felt something at half time and they didn't want to take a risk with regards to him continuing. So, look, again, you can look at this through two lenses. The first one is we've got the depth nowadays to be able to make a change like that to protect someone who's running a risk of picking up an injury because they felt a little something and we don't have to push them through it. We don't have to force the issue because we now have, as I say, that greater squad depth. Or you can say, 
not again Takahiro Tomiyasu because this guy is a really, really important part of our squad. His versatility is so important to us. The fact that he can play right back, left back, centre back. His physicality is important to us. I think when he's in the team, he gives us something different. Um, and he's been in excellent form lately. The fact that he's picked up another slight problem, albeit as far as we're aware right now, concerns me because of the frequency with which he's broken down. And it, it goes back to the debate that we keep having about Thomas Partey. You know, it doesn't matter how good a footballer you are. Um, if, um, you know, if you're not available, then then it's a problem. Um, you know, it's it's a problem. That that's that's how it goes. Um, so yeah, so that's where I'm at on um, on the Tommy Assey thing. I'm hoping that it's nothing. I'm hoping that it's okay. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll just have to wait and see, won't we? We'll just have to wait and see. Okay, then the second goal comes about, and um, brilliant goal from Bukayo Saka. And you know what was the most pleasing thing about last night, uh, outside of obviously the three points and the fact that um, it's another uh, you know step towards um, it's another step towards qualification and all the rest of it. The fact that Bukayo Saka looked back to the Bukayo Saka that we all know, the Bukayo Saka that we've all become accustomed to over the last you know, um, two seasons. He looked sharp. He looked confident. He looked willing to take on his man at every given opportunity. He looked like he wanted to cut in on that left foot and get shots off when he could. He looked like he was willing to go on the outside, trusting in his sort of body and his fitness and his pace to get around the outside of people as well. And on the other side, Martinelli looked the same. For a long, long time, we've questioned why Arsenal's attack hasn't been as potent We've talked about changes in midfield and the impact that they might have. We've also talked about injuries to the likes of Jesus, to Saka at a time, to Martinelli at a point. And a lot of it as well was, was down to players' form just not quite being where we know it can be. And listen, the bar was set incredibly high last season. So you don't blame people for looking at their, those performances and saying, come on, guys, it's not, it's not the same. You know, it, it's not the same level. We're not seeing the same outputs from you. But last night, I sort of quietly thought it during the first half, but didn't really want to say it too much. Um, I was like, yeah, you know, Bukayo Saka looks on it tonight. And then in the second half, obviously he scored that goal. And it was just a trademark Bukayo Saka goal. Wonderful finish into the far corner. And um, it sealed the game for Arsenal. Him and Martinelli were immense. And I'll come on to them in a little bit more detail in my player ratings um, a little bit later on. Now, Arsenal went on to win the game by two goals to nil. Substitutions were made a little bit later on to give sort of people a breather. I was a little bit surprised that Saka didn't come off earlier because of um, the issues that he was having and, and the kicks he was getting in the end. He was replaced on 85. Fabio Vieira got nine minutes. Nelson got nine minutes. Um, Zinchenko got 45. El Nini came on on the 90th. You know, there is an argument that maybe Mikel Arteta could have made some changes that little bit earlier because, you know, we were 2-0 up from 64 minutes. But at the same time, I think as a manager, and especially when you don't feel like your team have been performing at their best, and regardless of what Arteta says, you know, he came out after the Newcastle game swinging. You know, he came out being, um, you know, critical of, of, of the refereeing decisions and then full of praise for his team. Now, I think defensively at the weekend, his team were excellent, but I think he will know as well as anybody 
that offensively they were just lacking something. And I think part of the reason that he wanted to leave those players on the pitch for as long as he did was not because he wanted to take a greater risk around their fitness or the potential of them picking up injuries, but because he wanted to let them play at a point where they were feeling confident and where that buzz was there. It was almost like a recharge for those guys. The longer they were on the pitch playing well and tearing their fullbacks apart, the more their confidence was kind of recharging up, like a rechargeable battery. And then you get to the point where it's like maximum charge. And then you take it off the charger, don't you? So you don't damage the product. That's when Mikel Arteta, I think, felt that it was the right time to, to make changes and uh, remove these players. Now, he did say that Saka felt that he couldn't continue at the point that he came off, and, and that's fine. Um, but the point stands, like, generally, you leave your best players on when you're playing with confidence and with swagger if you feel like they need that. And I, I think that's good management. Now, an extra 15 minutes in the legs is probably not going to have that much difference in terms of your risks of injury and your level of performance come the weekend again. But yeah, um, I think that was a, a big part of it. Um, I'll give you guys uh, my player ratings. I just want to quickly mention as well that, uh, of course, in the other result, uh, we saw PSV Eindhoven uh, actually beat Lons, which, look, isn't the result that we wanted to seal qualification. Um, and obviously that is going to have to wait now. But I was thinking about this even before kickoff yesterday, and I'm pretty sure I said it on, on BBC Radio in London when we were building up to the game. Although PSV winning would mean that we wouldn't qualify on the night, what it does do is it makes sure that we still have a four-point cushion um, over second place. Because had Lons won against PSV Eindhoven, they'd have been on eight points. And all of a sudden, it would have been Arsenal on nine, Lons on eight, uh, and then you would have had PSV and Sevilla both on two points. So Arsenal and Lons... Definitely Arsenal, maybe not Lons. It would have depended on head-to-heads and stuff. But Arsenal would have been through, but Lons would have been hot on their heels in terms of topping the group. There'd have been one point in it, and of course, we still have to play them. And then we have to go away to PSV Eindhoven. So, you know, there was a part of me that was like, although our qualification is not secure here and it's not done yet, actually, this isn't a bad result either for those reasons. If you go back to the latter stages of Arsene Wenger's Arsenal career, and you go back to some of those last Champions League campaigns he had with us, how many times did we get bitten on the arse, man, for not winning the group? Now, again, you need an element of fortune when the draw comes along. You know, you could face a side that are very, very good. They just happen to have a couple of off days in the group stage, find themselves in second, but they're still good enough to beat you. I, I accept that that can um, all happen and stuff. But I just think that for me, you know, there's there's those those scars that, that run deep with regards to previous Champions League campaigns. So to me, it's important that we don't just qualify, but we win the group as well. You take qualification as second as a last means, of course. But yeah, I, I think that the result that we saw unfold in Eindhoven yesterday, although it doesn't seal our qualification straight away, what it does do is increase our chances, in my opinion, of winning the group, which is also uh, important. So um, yeah, lots to be positive about. Okay, um, I want to give you guys uh, my player ratings uh, off the back of this one. Um, let me just bring up the team again in front of me so I make sure that I don't forget anybody. I hate when I do that. Um, it has happened to me from time to time. Someone pointed it out on one of the recent episodes and I was like, no. 
Um, just a quick rundown of the stats, actually. Possession, 62% with the Gunners, 11 shots. Sevilla had one. Uh, we only managed three attempts on target. There is a player that I want to talk about, but we'll, we'll, we'll incorporate this all in the player rating. So let's go through the team. Um, let's start with, uh, of course, uh, David Raya in goal. I'm going to give David Raya a six. Didn't really do anything wrong. I can think of one misplaced pass. We tried to chip the ball out to Ben White on the right, and it just went askew a little bit. Um, some of the crowd got on his back. A few people that were around me got on his back in that instance. I don't think that was necessarily fair. He didn't really have to do anything is the truth of it. And so how can I give him anything more than a six um, on that basis? Uh, taking it into the uh, defence, uh, Ben White, I'm going to give him a seven. I thought he looked solid, as Ben White always does. Not his most outstanding performance, I didn't think. But was he really tested? No, not really. Um, and uh, and particularly in the second half when Zinchenko came on, I think Ben White's role changes a little bit in that sense because then he becomes very much a part of a back three every time we build up. Whereas when Tommy Asu's on the other side, we have that ability to, to switch it from right to left. So sometimes Ben White can go into midfield because maybe it doesn't come as natural to Tommy Asu. Whereas when Zinchenko's in the side, it's always our left-sided player that makes that step into the uh, midfield positions. So maybe that just impacted on how adventurous he was in the second half. Maybe it was the game state. Benny Blanco, for me, gets a 7 out of 10. So William Saliba, um, 8 out of 10. Again, not massively tested, but everything he did do, he did like the Rolls-Royce that he is. Outstanding player. And I saw a few people suggesting online during the first half, after he made that brilliant recovery tackle, um, that he's the best centre-half in the world. And it's difficult to disagree with, with something like that. The more and more we see um, William Saliba play for Arsenal. So 8 out of 10 for him. Gabriel can have a 7, much like Ben White. Everything he did, he did it well. He was solid, he was composed, um, but wasn't really massively tested. Tommy Asu, I'll give him a 7 as well. Moving into midfield, Kai Havertz. Now, this is an interesting one. Someone has just put in the comments, um, I think it was Khalid. All I'm asking is please don't give um, Havertz more than a six. Well, I am going to give Kai Havertz more than a six because if I gave Ben White a seven, and I gave Gabriel a seven, and I gave Tommy Asu a seven, I think that Kai Havertz deserves a seven as well. Now, whether people want to admit it or not, Kai Havertz is getting better slowly but surely. Um, you know, he is getting better. He is far more effective when playing in the midfield. Look. Uh, let me make this clear. I don't think midfield is his best position, but when he does play in the midfield, I think he's far more effective when he plays in the Odegaard position than in the left eight position. And we saw that again yesterday. Only black mark against him. He should have scored in the very, very early stages of the game. There was a header that he managed to get on the end of uh, at the, the far post after a delivery came in. And, you know, he, he should have hit the target. There's no excuse for that. I wonder if the chance came a little bit too early on in the game not making excuses for him, but I'm just trying to think about why he seemed so cold at that point. Um, he had a, a shot blocked in the second half, which from seeing the reverse angle looked like it was headed for goal. And then he produced a, a brilliant effort, actually, where he picked the ball up in that Odegaard position, if you like, shifted it onto that left foot and he bent it towards the far corner. It was so close. And I was desperate, absolutely desperate when it left his boot for that to go in. Um, he, he really kind of needed that. He, he does need that. You know, he, he needs that moment. 
Um, he, he really, really does. Mikel Arteta in his press conference, interestingly, said that he was the best player in the first half against West Ham, that he was one of the best players against Newcastle, and that he felt that he was one of the best players again today. So Mikel Arteta is happy with him. And I think, although I'm not totally satisfied with his performances at this stage, I am starting to see a little bit more. And if you're giving me progress, albeit slow progress, I can kind of get on board with that and I can live with that and I can take it. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, that, that's that, that's where I am on Kai Havertz and his performance last night. Um, so I, I'm going to go with a uh, 7 out of 10 for Kai Havertz. Agree, disagree, whatever you like. That's my rating. Jorginho, I'm going to give him an 8. I thought it was superb on the ball, played a massive part in opening up Sevilla's defence, uh, which we were struggling to do up until that point. Declan Rice, I'm going to give him an eight as well because he's just immense in everything that he does. Bukayo Saka, I'm going to give him an eight because I thought it was great. Again, Martinelli, eight, constant thorn in their side, uh, down our left-hand side, down their right-hand side. He's just so relentless, man. He just keeps coming at you over and 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 over again. And it's like, man, does this guy ever run out of batteries? Like, if you're a right back, like you clear the danger, you think, right, got a few seconds to catch my breath back. Just got to stay with him. Just got to keep an eye on him. And what do Arsenal do? They work the ball out to him again and again and again and again and again. And he's constantly willing to take you on. And when I was talking about our players and their sort of confidence needing like recharging, you know, I talked about it for Saka because he was playing well and it was an enjoyable performance. You need that from... Martinelli as well, who at times has been good this season, but hasn't been at the level that we saw last season. So he was really sort of pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing as well. And I think Mikel Arteta wanted to see that as well. Um, Phantom patient, just to go back on Havertz quickly, says, why are you saying far more effective when he plays in the Odegaard position? He's a bit more effective. No, I think he's far more effective in terms of the impact he has on the game. I, I'll give you something um, that I've felt for quite a long time, right, which has really, really frustrated me when it comes to our assessments and our judgments on Kai Havertz. This is my problem. What a lot of people do, and I'm not accusing any one individual before someone in the chat gets upset. What a lot of people are doing is they're looking at Kai Havertz and they're going forward. Played for Chelsea as a forward for three seasons. He's a forward. You've got people like me who keep saying that I think his best position is a forward. But that's not the reality. The reality right now with Kai Havertz is that he's not playing as a forward. He's playing as a midfielder. So judge him as a midfielder. Goals would not be seen as such a big deal for a midfield player if this particular midfield player wasn't a forward before. Do you see what I'm trying to say? Like, I, I get that you expect more contribution from him. I do too. And as I said, I'm not totally satisfied with what I've seen from him since he's arrived at Arsenal. But you have to get out of this mindset of going, he's a forward, he's a forward, he's a forward. Because yes, maybe you might think like I do that that's his best position, but that's not where he's playing now. That's not what his responsibility is necessarily in this team. He has a responsibility to contribute like everybody else does. But he's still finding his feet in a new area of the park and and I just think that we just need to get off his back and encourage him because that's the only way he's going to get better. Uh, Leandro Trossard. I'm going to give Leandro Trossard a seven. He scored the goal, um, but I didn't think he was as effective as he could have been. 
um, necessarily in other stages and phases of the game. Again, you know, he hasn't started many games lately and it's not easy to come into the side, let alone in, in a position that isn't your preferred position. Um, so, yeah, let's um, let's kind of leave it there with the player ratings. I think the subs came on so late, it's probably not worth uh, even giving them a rating. I'm going to pick a couple of questions out um, and then uh, I'm going to leave it there just because we've got to get set in the studio uh, for the show. Um, I'm going to pre-record, by the way, the Burnley preview so that it will be with you guys tomorrow because I'm actually away this weekend. Uh, I'm on best man duty again. Um, looking forward to it, though. Um, it's always an honor, always a pleasure. Uh, I'm going on a stag do. We are going to Bratislava in Slovakia uh, from Friday until Sunday. So if anybody's got any um, recommendations, if anybody's been there and has anything um, they feel I should know, please do let me know. Um, there's a few congratulations for reaching the 30K subs. Thank you to Horace for that. Uh, and thank you to Victor, who joined us when we had eight. Amazing. Um, Paratos says, uh, do you think Mikel has asked Rice to be a little bit deeper yesterday? Especially in the first half. I think just naturally he's got to be mindful of the fact that Jorginho is playing alongside him and not Thomas Partey. And I think Declan Rice being able to play as a six, and they even said last night in an interview that he prefers playing at six. He feels that he's best there. It makes me think that, you know, Mikel Arteta has probably had that conversation probably told him that with Jorginho it needs to be a bit more of a hybrid. And I think that that's why we're seeing Jorginho looking so much more comfortable. And and the, the last question I'll take just again, because I'm massively pushed for time, um, which is Jorginho related is Jorginho has been immense uh, for the last few games. And I'm personally loving him at Arsenal. Would you extend his contract by another two years? Uh, one year with a club option? I would. So the thing is with Jorginho is that for me, he, He's a player that works in the right system with the right balance with the right people around him. And of course, he's incredibly experienced. And I think so there's a benefit to having Jorginho around the place that goes beyond just what he brings on the pitch. One moment that I thought was gold yesterday was when um, he was he came off as a sub and he walked around the pitch. He stopped in the severe technical area, started barking out instructions, clapping. Diego Carlos must have looked up and thought, Jog on, mate. Like, what are you doing? Uh, but yeah, look, I think I would wait until the end of the season. I don't think there's any mad rush. Um, you know, I think that there's interest probably from some clubs on the continent. Barcelona have been mentioned in the past. And I think that, you know, if I were Arsenal, at least until January, I'd be keeping my powder dry on this. Assess the situation. You know, can we go out and get a long-term midfielder in in January? Do we have the finance to do that? If not, then I'd hold on to Jorginho. Look, I'd, let me be clear. I'd hold on to him for the remainder of this season regardless. But beyond that, I'm not sure yet. It just depends on what the plans are uh, moving forward. Right, guys, uh, I'm going to love you and leave you. Thank you so, so much for joining me. As always, we'll be back uh, tomorrow with a preview show looking ahead to Arsenal versus Burnley at the weekend. And I'll see you all again on Sunday. Until then, take care. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>